Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for January 23, 2020. Here's our new Prince schedule on ACB Radio Mainstream. Thursdays, 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. Fridays, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Sundays, 8 and 11 p.m., Mondays, 8 and 11 a.m., Wednesdays, 4 and 7 a.m., and 4 and 7 p.m. Soundprints is also available through the iTunes Store, on the Victor Reader Stream as a podcast, and on the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Are you a guide dog user in Kentucky, southern Indiana, or in the Cincinnati area? The Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana is a chapter of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and of GDUI. You are invited to join. GDUKI holds a membership conference call the fourth Monday of each month, and you can call in from anywhere to join the discussion. Membership dues in GDUKI are $15 a year, and we need to submit our 2020 membership list to GDUI by February 15. To join GDUKI using your credit card, Give KCB a call at 502-895-4598. Pamela Moretz is second vice president of the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and the major in the Salvation Army. At a recent meeting of our club, Pamela talked about her experiences working in many major natural disasters, such as Hurricane Katrina, the huge tornadoes in Alabama, and many others. She explained how the Salvation Army organizes its relief efforts and trains its volunteers so as to maximize its resources to reach people in need. Go around the Internet with us on page 3. Learn about Blackboard Ally, a new tool to make lessons and materials accessible to students using screen readers, magnification, etc. Next is a post from Claire Stanley of the ACB National Office in Alexandria concerning a notice of proposed rulemaking related to service animals on airplanes. Then we learn that New Jersey is the first state to have an official state dog, the seeing eye dog. And finally, for those of you interested in genealogy, your family tree, and family history, we learn about the training opportunities and a huge number of new records searchable online from MyHeritage.com. MyHeritage has a very accessible app in the iTunes Store. And on page 4 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. Well, most of you know me. (laughs) I am... uh, one of those old hands at some of my favorite things to do in the Salvation Army. I know it sounds weird because a disaster has to happen for us to take our training and put into action. But this is a two, almost three inch thick, three ring binder disaster services uh, regional that we had to take in 2005. So if you wanted to be um, disaster savvy, you'd have to take specialized training in order to uh, work during a disaster. You can't just go in, of course you can just go in and um, 
work in a disaster, but some people bring in food in the back of their truck, it's not healthy. So we have certain guidelines that we have to, sorry. So what I'm gonna do is, instead of using all of this, I gave you a short version of it. I'm gonna crash course you. Okay, I wanted to have fun with it. What you have in front of you is a first aid kit. You can open up and look at it. You know, there's a lot of neat things in there. Um, a lot of people don't know that during a disaster, don't light candles. That's the first thing I do. I know, that's the first thing people do. You know why, don't you? The gas. The gas. You'll blow yourself up. <laughs> right. Not that that's funny. I laugh at a nervousness because we all do it. Now, they do have the, uh, the wickless, the battery-operated cameras, and there should be um, flashlight in there, too. So a lot of the things that you will need, that's a whistle. In case uh, you're incapacitated, somehow are you... You go in and out of consciousness, you have this whistle, you blow the whistle and people just follow the whistle. Or if you're under uh, debris, then um, they can find you. Yeah, they can help find you. Because uh, I, I have served, oh my goodness, of 20 hurricanes and disasters in the past 30 years, I've served 13 of them. And Eight of them were in Miami. Uh, Hurricane Katrina, Ivan, um, went to New York and served a 9-11. That was, that was, that was horrible. I don't want to talk too much about that. It brings back some terrible memories. And, um, but it was the, the most intense training on the job training that I got. It was 16 acres and it was still burping 1200 degrees temperature in February. You know, we called it the pit of hell. And I remember walking around the 16 acres with my sunglasses on just crying, just weeping, because you could just feel the oppression of all the people that lost their loved ones. And I was the volunteer coordinator, and my responsibility was, of course, to bring the volunteers in, get them trained real quick, give them a position to serve at ground zero, and then I had my gator, my four-wheeler, where I would take the, the chief, the fire chief, bless his heart, he had two sons, one a policeman, and a firefighter, and he had his, what they call the fireman's claw, and he was digging his, his legs, his feet, uh, ankles were swollen so bad because he just would not go home. I'm not going home until I find my son. And uh, I had to take him down into, it, they called it the million dollar ramp because it cost a million dollars to build this ramp so that the heavy equipment could get down there and dig. And when you, when they found a finger, they would stop everything. The flags would come out and in a processional of this big ramp, they would all hold their hands over their heart and they would drop their head and just meditate until they left out of view. And uh, it was just um, one of the most profound on-the-job training that I ever got 
to experience it. I'm grateful for it, but um, I, I took away some gory memories, and sometimes I still uh, dream and I, I see things, but it's not post-traumatic stress or anything. It's just, it reminds me how grateful I am for the Salvation Army and American Red Cross and other companies and organizations that are willing to step up to the plate and get down there and help people that can't help themselves. And I wanted to take the time to uh, train you on the way the Salvation Army does it. And uh, I want to have a little bit of fun doing it. Uh, so since we have a lion president, she's going to be the IC person. Hmm. So uh, there you go, you get to wear this. What's that? Uh, we're going we're to learn all of that, okay? Uh, incident commander. So we put through here and then through the hole on that side. There you go. So this side, there you go. On that side. Pull it down here. Is this holding my head back? Yeah, that goes over here. That's my head. All right, you're the incident commander. Instantly. Instantly. So in your booklet, your pamphlet, so this booklet right here, we're going to learn what an incident command system is. I'm not going to go through everything because it talks about shapes and doing exercises. We really don't have time for all that. <laughs> what is ICS? Yes. Uh -huh. A management system. A system of doing things. Yeah. The incident command system, ICS, is a management tool used to command control and coordinate disaster relief operations. So you're the person in charge. So every, we can't have two heads, because two heads is what? A monster. So you have to have somebody that is disaster savvy, they know what they're doing, they know how to orchestrate uh, what we call a flow chart. And so uh, when a disaster hits, the first thing that happens is the person that's nearest the disaster does an assessment. So this impact assessment, they go and they review and uh, look to see how bad it is. They take pictures, unless there are dead bodies. Um, it would be kind of harsh. Um, they're not allowed to take pictures out of respect to the deceased and their family. So they bring back a report and it looks like this, impact assessment. What we need, the address, phone numbers, do we need a canteen? Uh, just the specifics on uh, how bad it is. Is there uh, water bursting out of the street? Uh, are there homes in the middle of the street? What exactly is going on? And then we call back to divisional headquarters, which the person, the director of disaster, will call the volunteers in the field, those that have training, and say, hey, can you help with this disaster in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, the bridge broke, everybody's in the Ohio River, or whatever, you know, you gotta be able to swim, and do you have equipment, and a winch, I mean, you just, I'm just making this up, it never happens. <clears throat> so um, that's the first thing that happens. We are the first to arrive and the last to leave. And uh, we don't go anywhere where we're not welcome. Meaning, if the, when the police are there, they're usually the first responders are there, um, they know us. And that's why we wear, um, you know, the red. This looks dirty. <laughs> it is my EMT bag. 
but it's been clean. I must be a mild hoarder because I can't get rid of it. There's a lot of memories in here. <laughs> a lot of uh, it's been all over the place. Wow. Uh, so not all of us are CPR instructors. Not all of us know how to do CPR. But I wanted to take a moment and show you uh, a technique. Uh, I need somebody that's willing to lay on the floor. Can I get somebody to lay on the floor? The first thing you do in, in something like this is if you have glasses, um, are you okay? Don't say Are you okay? I, I saw you drop down on the floor. Hello? Hello? My name is uh, Pam Moretz and I'm here to help you. Do you need help? They're not responding. So the next thing you do is you take your glasses or the back of your hand because it's the most sensitive part of your body. <coughs> you put it up to his nose. He's breathing, okay? But he's not conscious. Now if I put my glasses up there and they steam up, that's another way you can do it, okay? So now um, he's not conscious. He might act like he's throwing up or something like that. So what you need to do, it doesn't matter really what side, but I'm going to handle you a little bit. I'm going to move your knee up, okay? I'm going to put your forearm on the back of your cheek, and then I'm going to roll you over like a kickstand. You have just saved that person's life, because if they throw up, they're going to inhale that and get asphyxiated. When you see somebody, now it's called implied consent. If you see somebody that's in a disaster, that got injured, if there's broken bones, blood, they're unconscious, and you introduce yourself and you try to scream and scare them because if they have that knee-jerk reaction, then they're conscious. But if they're not talking, they're not looking, then chances are, yeah, that they're in a serious condition. So the law covers you by implied consent under the Good Samaritan Law. So you cannot touch them until you give permission from them. They've got to get you that permission. But if they're not conscious to do so, the implied consent is that you can help them. You do have a choice not to help them. You don't have to help them. You could walk away. But if an onlooker sees that you were a witness to it and you didn't do something, you can be in trouble. then you can be in real trouble. Because you didn't render aid. That's right, you didn't render aid. Yeah. So uh, those are some things that we've learned here. Recently they took away the um, resuscitation, 32 breaths. So now it... <coughs> Because of AIDS and people are, you know, it's a bloodborne disease. You can't get it, you know, other than through blood contact. Um, but they said, they mean the authorities of all these rules, that you can, uh, you can palpate. You can do the compressions and just the compressions. Or you can do the breathing, just the breathing. So it is... Um, in the middle of your chest, we all y'all had CPR, yeah, a training before, and yep. you have it. <clears throat> well, if you don't mind me using you, <laughs> uh, you sit right there. <clears throat> so your sternum 
you can feel where your stomach comes up to the end of your ribs. You don't want to press on that. That'll break, okay? So right above it, and usually, this is going to get kind of personal, but usually between their breasts. And then you want to put the palm, the meaty part of your hand, and your other hand on top. Doesn't matter whether you're right or left. Doesn't matter. You want to curl up your fingers because you don't want to go like this. You're just massaging their chest. But you want to pull up and you want to lock your elbows in and give a two inch compression 30 times. Okay? Hey, are you okay? Are you okay? They're not responding. And <laughs> now. You know, and then if they're not breathing, that's when you give CPR. So it was kind of a crash course. But that. You, you, you give them 32 compression, you said? 30. 30, 30 to two, yeah. Once you compress, do you walk off or what? <laughs> you do it for about five minutes. And then uh, you'll say, hey, somebody call uh, EMS. Somebody help me. Yeah, help me, help me. But if you're by yourself, you know. If you're by yourself, it, it'll kind of kick in. Your, yeah, your rescue techniques. Adrenaline will kick in, but yeah. after a while, and I've even talked to a lot of EMTs and paramedics, you get exhausted. Yeah. You know, five, and five minutes is an eternity. Yeah. For doing that. Yeah, you're right. Because, you know, five minutes, let's see, 30 compressions every minute. I believe Red Cross charges anywhere from 60 to $118 to get your CPR card. Uh, the Salvation Army, I do it for nothing, providing that when a disaster hits and we call on you, you'll come to help us. You know, I think that's a good investment for the training. Um, <clears throat> let's go on to the next one, the next part. The system is effective regardless of the size, the type of complexity of the event, and may expand or contract according to the needs of the operation. ICS, instead of saying the incident, incident command system or center, we just say ICS. So when we see that, that's what that is is used by government agencies, volunteer organizations, and the private sector. In addition to disaster, ICS may also be used to manage planned or non-emergency events, like, I don't know, um, stampedes, uh, people that get run over because of mayhem, you know, people freak out at games. Um, plane crashes, fire, you know, there's Australia had a fire, Hawaii had all those disasters. Sure, I'll go to Hawaii. <laughs> me, I go. Um, but even uh, train derailments, anything that the city or the sheriff says, hey, Salvation Army, can you come feed the police and the firefighters because they're exhausted. So that's one of the things that we do mostly is the food and hydration centers. But we do have teams that are chain gangs and we help, but that takes special training. So we're gonna fast forward here. Um, on the flow chart, which is on the next page, you're gonna see down on the fourth page, the bottom left-hand corner, this is what we call a flow chart. Now, a lot of times, I'm gonna walk around, <coughs> Uh, we, we meaning the Salvation Army, 
have a disaster within the disaster because everybody wants to take charge. Everybody wants to be the incident commander. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or some of them don't want it all. But with training and experience, we are very meticulous on who we pick and choose. So look at the bottom left-hand corner. I'm going to read it here um, for Adam and Carla. So um, the incident commander, of course, is in charge. Then we have uh, operations. And operations manages all direct services activities such as mass feedings and case management. And then you may be chosen to volunteer as logistics chief. That person secures and manages resources, including supplies and equipment, necessary to support the operation. Finance and admin. That person manages, reports, statistics, and personnel and volunteers and accounting for the operation. That would be a good job for Leon. Retired. <laughs> so uh, when we have volunteers come in, the volunteer coordinator, which is not on here but uh, is very important with finance and admin, they have to find housing for the volunteers. Because if the volunteers get sick and exhausted, they're not going to be any help to the disaster plan. So we we bus them in, we fly them in, however we can get them in, and then um, we interview them, uh, give them a place to volunteer. Maybe a person uh, is a really good cook, we would put them on the canteen. But here's the neat thing about working a disaster. You know that you're gonna get fed, and your needs are gonna be met, and you're gonna take food home to your family. And not that that sounds selfish in kind of a way it does, but um, that's exactly what happens. I have never, as you can tell, I've never gone without a meal unless I fasted or something. But uh, there's always plenty of food and resources. When Katrina hit, we had a gentleman that was a pilot, and he called his business uh, Flying Angels. And he took us anywhere we wanted to go, never charged us a dime. Doctors were sending operation equipment, um, surgical equipment. Uh, we, we did a triage um, where the old, let's see, this is in Gulfport, Mississippi, and there used to be a baseball team there. Uh, but we took that ball field and converted it into a hospital. And we got all, we had to go in and power wash everything because it was nasty, dirty, muddy. And then we uh, put all our supplies in there. And it was very, very helpful. Then we got the, the big tent, the million dollar tent, and did social services out of that. Papa John's gave us over one million breakfast pizzas. If you ever had a breakfast pizza from Papa John, it's a thick crust, buttery, has eggs, cheese, sausage, whatever you wanted on it, and they put it in their regular size box, but there are four in the box. And the people in the community could just walk up and say, hey, I need three boxes. I have a family of four to feed. And all through Katrina, they were there. Every morning, they were there at six o'clock in the morning and they were just feeding all night long. Just have a lot of good things to say about Papa John's. And then my favorite, 
<coughs> excuse me, is the emotional and spiritual care. The disaster is easy to deal with, but what do we do with the people after the disaster? They're crushed. They just lost everything. They need somebody to talk to. They need to go to our social services and pour their heart out and find out what resources we have. Then you would go to the warehouse manager, a logistics guy, and say, hey, what do we have in the warehouse where we can help this family of four? Uh, they need beds, they need clothing, medical, food, blah, blah, blah. And so we just get a huge care package full of stuff and, and meet that need. Of course, statistically, um, our sponsors and supporters look at that and they say, you know what, we're in. We want to send a truckload of coats. Well, these coats went to Florida. <laughs> we don't need coats in Florida. So <laughs> it's easier just to send money because then we can use that for the things that are specific that we really do need. Never underestimate. Now, on the beginning of this, it says most hurricanes hit in Florida first. Don't let that fool you. Always have a plan. So this, uh, this is what it looked like during uh, the tornado in uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I'm just going to explain this one. Um, I'll, I'll pass it around if you want to, but it is a picture of Highway 354 in Tuscaloosa and the Salvation Army is in the background <clears throat> and it shows the tornado, I don't know if you can see it, there's the tornado, five miles wide. It peels off the ceiling of the Salvation Army like a can. And you can see there's uh, debris in the street. And these are all cars flipped over in the ravine. And see that uh, van right there? There's a person trapped underneath the van. And it was horrible. It was just awful. Just when I thought 9-11 was bad. So um, when you volunteer with the Salvation Army, you are worth to us $14.75 an hour. <clears throat> if we could pay someone to volunteer to do all that needs to be done during a disaster, whether it be your operations, your logistics chief, your admin finance, your volunteer coordinator, or the incident commander, you are saving us $14.75 an hour. So, um, any questions on that? Yes, sir. You're talking about needing the water. Uh, does Salvation Army participate with Anheuser-Busch when they stop their operations and change from beer to water? That's a good question, because they did. One year, they gave us cases and cases and cases of um, Budweiser canned goods, and we thought it was beer. <laughs> <laughs> but what they did is they stopped the operation and filled them with water and gave them to us. But can you imagine a, a pastor drinking out of them? <laughs> <laughs> it's water! It really is. Yeah, sure, okay. Uh, this is an old book bag. Don't throw them away. Clean them up and use them as your disaster preparedness. Put it by your door. You never know when a disaster is going to hit and you just grab that thing and go. 
make sure you put three days worth of meds and your legal papers triple bag them zip bag them and put them in there and keep them with you at all times you know at the airport they say don't leave your bag have you left your bag at any point in time you know because there are other people that are looking to take so you can make your own design your own um, or you can buy one already done but I got you started so I hope that this helps with you being a disaster prepared and God forbid that we should ever have one thank you Page three, around the internet. Here are several items that have been posted within the last week. The first is entitled Blackboard Ally Accessibility Tool from the University of Arkansas Newswire, January 21, 2020. A new accessibility tool called Blackboard Ally is now available inside all Blackboard Learn courses. This new built-in tool guides instructors through the process of creating and making course content more inclusive and accessible for all students. Ally automatically checks course content and files in Blackboard for common accessibility issues such as missing alt text or headers. It also looks for content that is not formatted for screen readers. Ally offers feedback on how to improve content accessibility and creates alternative formats such as audio files, electronic braille, and screen readable PDFs. This tool also improves readability for mobile devices and tablets. The next item is entitled Notice of Proposed Rulemaking Regarding Service Animals on Airplanes. And this is posted by Claire Stanley on ACB Leadership. Hello, ACB members and friends. As I'm sure many of you have already heard, the Federal Aviation Commission, FAA, has just put out a notice of proposed rulemaking, NPRM, concerning bringing service animals on airplanes. Most of us know that in past years, airlines have put into place frustrating and illegal policies on what we have to do before we can bring our guide dogs onto planes. Our national office has done a lot of work to explain the negative repercussions of such policies. The FAA has also addressed this policy and put out a favorable final statement in the summer of 2019. The corresponding ACB press release is available at https colon slash slash www.prnewswire.com slash news dash releases slash acb dash commends dash dot dash faa dash on dash final dash statement dash of dash enforcement dash priorities dash regarding dash service dash animals dash three zero zero eight nine six zero nine dot html this issue is so significant to our community that acb has passed resolutions on the topic for several years these resolutions are available at two thousand thirteen dash zero five the link is acb dot org slash resolutions 2013 2014-01 is at acb.org slash resolutions 2014 2016.14 is available 
at acb.org slash resolutions 2016. 2017-05 is available at acb.org slash resolutions 2017. 2018-10 is available at acb.org slash resolutions 2018. Today the FAA announced an NPRM to get feedback from Americans on what federal regulations on bringing service animals on planes should look like. Some of the questions concern whether documentation should be required, if service animals should be limited to dogs, and if emotional support animals should be included. The FAA has allowed 60 days to file public comments once the NPRM is published in the Federal Register. The National Office will review the NPRM carefully and work with ACB affiliates, committees, and members to draft comments. We will share more information as it becomes available and assist members with filing their own comments. In the meantime, please read the below information from the FAA. Please contact Claire Stanley via email at cstanley, C-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y, at acb.org if you have any questions or comments related to this issue. U.S. Department of Transportation seeks comment on proposed amendments to regulation of service animals on flights. Washington. The U.S. Department of Transportation today announced that it is seeking public comment on proposed amendments to its Air Carrier Access Act, ACAA, Regulation on the Transportation of Service Animals by Air. The Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, NPRM, on Traveling by Air with Service Animals can be found online and provides the public with 60 days to comment on the proposed changes. Today's NPRM is intended to ensure a safe and accessible air transportation system. It addresses concerns raised by individuals with disabilities, airlines, flight attendants, airports, other aviation transportation stakeholders, and other members of the public regarding service animals on aircraft. The department recognizes the integral role that service animals play in the lives of many individuals with disabilities and wants to ensure that individuals with disabilities can continue using their service animals while also reducing the likelihood that passengers wishing to travel with their pets on aircraft will be able to falsely claim their pets are service animals. The NPRM proposes to define a service animal as a dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of a person with a disability. No longer consider an emotional support animal to be a service animal. Consider a psychiatric service animal to be a service animal and require the same training and treatment of psychiatric service animals as other service animals. Allow airlines to require forms developed by DOT attesting to a service animal's good behavior certifying the service animal's good health, and if taking a longer flight, attesting to the service animal, and if taking a longer flight, attesting that the service animal has the ability to either not relieve itself 
or can relieve itself in a sanitary manner. Allow airlines to require passengers with a disability who are traveling with a service animal to check in at the airport one hour prior to the travel time required for the general public to ensure sufficient time to process the service animal documentation and observe the animal. Require airlines to promptly check in passengers with service animals who are subject to an advanced check-in process. Allow airlines to limit the number of service animals traveling with a single passenger with a disability to two service animals. Allow airlines to require a service animal to fit within its handler's foot space on the aircraft. Continue to allow airlines to require that service animals be harnessed, leashed, tethered, or otherwise under the control of its handler. Continue to allow airlines to refuse transportation to service animals that exhibit aggressive behavior and that pose a direct threat to the health or safety of others. And continue to prohibit airlines from refusing to transport a service animal solely on the basis of breed. Comments on the NPRM must be received within 60 days of the date the notice is published. The NPRM can be found at regulations.gov docket number DOT-OST-2018-0068. And this was posted by Claire Stanley, Advocacy and Outreach Specialist with the American Council of the Blind. This next item was posted on ACB Leadership on Wednesday, January 22. And it is an article entitled, NJ Now Has a State Dog, the Seeing Eye Dog. New Jersey Now Has a State Dog, the Seeing Eye Dog, taken from NJ.com. New Jersey has a state flower, turtle, and even a bug. So it's about time the Garden State picked a dog. Governor Phil Murphy, on Tuesday signed a bill into law making the seeing eye dog the state dog. The oldest guide dog school in the United States, the seeing eye, has headquarters in Morristown. The organization has trained and paired more than 17,000 guide dogs with owners who are blind, according to its website. The school launched in Nashville in 1929, but relocated two years later to New Jersey, where a more mild climate made training the dogs easier. The term Seeing Eye Dog specifically refers to those trained at Seeing Eye, Inc. All others are called service or guide dogs. State Senator Anthony Bucco's father, the late State Senator Anthony R. Bucco, B-U-C-C-O, introduced this legislation, SB 2849, in July of 2018. Quote, my father and I shared a passion for the work of the Seeing Eye organization and its mission to increase the independence of those who are blind and visually impaired, Bucko, Republican, Morris, said in a statement. This was one of the last bills that we worked on together prior to his passing. I couldn't think of a more fitting tribute to my father than the signing of this legislation, which encapsulates his deeply held belief that everyone deserves the opportunity to live with dignity and respect. End of quote. The state senate passed it 37 to 0, and the state assembly 73 to 0 earlier this month.
And finally, many visually impaired people are interested in genealogy and family history as a hobby. The following year in review was received from the MyHeritage website, and we thought you might be interested in the vast amount of information that is growing every day for people who are interested in genealogy. The subtitle on this message is 821 Million New Records, 2020 Webinar Series, and more. Year in Review Wrapping up a fantastic 2019. 2019 has been a fantastic year at MyHeritage, and we're delighted to share with you some of the major highlights and updates from the year. Historical Records New Historical Records Added a huge treasure trove of 821 million records were added to MyHeritage in the last two weeks of December, bringing the total number of historical records in MyHeritage Super Search to 11 billion records. This update focuses on historical books and scholarly articles published in the U.S. and around the globe, and also introduces birth and marriage records from Germany, a large military death index from France, and many U.S. newspaper collections. 2020 Webinar Schedule Announcing the 2020 Webinar Series We're happy to present the schedule for our 2020 Webinar Series. The webinars cover interesting topics in genealogy and DNA presented by expert speakers, offered on our Legacy Family Tree Webinars platform, and Led by venerable host Jeff Rasmussen, the schedule includes sessions on how to make the most of my heritage. Registration is now open, and so go in and pick your favorite areas for broadening your horizons. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil learns more about his family history with my heritage. We returned to the Dr. Phil show to share with this well-known TV persona information about his family's past. Dr. Phil was fascinated by new details about his family history. I Am Migration I Am Migration, in partnership with MyHeritage, produced a unique documentary film that celebrates diversity in the United States. As a protagonist, Paola Baldion travels across the country. She uses hundreds of DNA tests to reveal the range of cultures that come together to make the United States a vibrant mosaic of people. The fascinating documentary is available for free in English and Spanish. Education Tutorials Explore new content in the knowledge base. Since launching our new knowledge base, My Heritage Education, in September of 2019, We've added 845 content items to enrich your understanding of our tools and technologies, genealogy research, and DNA testing, completely free. There are new video tutorials to learn how to take full advantage of this fantastic resource. Webinar Playback An Introduction to the Science of DNA Testing Whether you've already taken a DNA test or are contemplating taking one, this presentation by our DNA product manager, Rand Snir, R-A-N-S-N-I-R, provides a useful overview. 
Learn how DNA is passed down through generations, how and why individuals have shared DNA segments, and how ethnicity estimates are computed. Male Pattern Baldness The bald truth on how baldness is inherited. Is there any truth to the claim that baldness is inherited from the mother's father? Learn more about the genetic aspects involved as well as other factors that play a part in predicting whether a man will develop male pattern baldness. User Story DNA Upload Reveals Father and Half-Sisters Ray Robinson grew up with her biological mother but never knew her biological father. Ray searched for her paternal family for 31 years. After trying many DNA testing services, it was a DNA upload to MyHeritage that solved the case for her and her family. World War II Stories We want to hear your World War II stories. May 2020 will mark 75 years since the end of the Second World War. To commemorate this, MyHeritage wants to share untold stories and family memories from this period. If you have an interesting family story from World War II or never seen before photos, we invite you to share them with MyHeritage. Grow your family tree today. Visit MyHeritage. That is MyHeritage.com on the computer, and they also have a very accessible app in the iTunes store. Visit MyHeritage.com. Note, it's available on your computer or for your mobile device, and it is also available as a very accessible app in the Apple iTunes store. Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar. Please note that telephone numbers for committee meetings can be obtained by calling the KCB office at 502-895-4598 or by visiting the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org and following the Events tab at the top of the page. On January 25, ACB Next Generation will hold its Saturday night live hangout at 8 p.m. by telephone. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On January 26, the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni will hold its next board meeting at 8 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On January 27, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will hold its January call at 7 p.m. by telephone. There will be a guest speaker from Guide Dogs for the Blind who will be talking about their O&M immersion program. All are welcome. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On January 27, Savvy the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, will hold a budget committee meeting at 8 p.m. Central Time. January 29, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have an assistive technology seminar from 1 to 2 p.m. The program will be Narrator and Magnifier at the BCB Community Room on Broadway in Lexington. For more information, call 859-259-1834. January 31 is the GLCB Roundabout. 
education, technology, and other individual activities from 3.30 to 5, discussion time 5 to 6, dinner $6 per person, 6 to 7, games, cards, and other activities from 7 until 9.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On February 2, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Advocacy Committee will meet at 7 p.m. and the Education, Activities, and Technology Committee at 8 p.m. On February 2, ACB Families will hold its next peer support group meeting. Participate from anywhere in the country at 9 p.m. Eastern Time by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. On February 3, the Savvy Program Committee will meet at 7 p.m. Central Time. February 4, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold a business meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern. The phone number is 669-900-6833 and the access code is 3572-595-193. February 5 is a Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision conference call support group. At 8 p.m. Eastern, individuals statewide experiencing low vision are encouraged to ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. Call 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. February 6, the KCB Scholarship and Technology Committee will meet at 8 p.m. On February 6, The American Council of Blind Lions will hold its monthly conference call meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This meeting is open to lions throughout the country and is an excellent opportunity to share ideas on how to be more involved in local activities. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. On February 7, Savvy, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, will have a workshop from 10 a.m. to noon Central Time at the Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. For more information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On February 7, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout individual activities from 3.30 to 5.00. Discussion time 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, bunco, cards, and other games from 7 to 9.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On February 8, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its board meeting at 11 a.m. by phone. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. February 9, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation will have its chapter meeting at 8 p.m. by phone. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. February 10, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a community outing from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Come out and enjoy a cup of coffee, hot chocolate, soft drink, and sandwich or donut with us at McLeod's Coffee House. This special coffee shop employs people with special needs and is the brainchild of Brewster McLeod, a retired pastor from Southland Christian Church. McLeod's Coffee Shop is at 376 Southland Drive in Lexington. For more information and to sign up, call 
859-259-1834. February 11. Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, Savvy, will have its monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. This is an opportunity to learn about the Davies County Library, presented by Lita Begg, Librarian. We will also share information, collect dues, and have a membership committee meeting at the Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. Call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689 for more information. On February 11, the Savvy Board Meeting will be held at 7 p.m. Central Time by conference call. February 12, Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have a monthly conference call meeting for everyone at 7 p.m. The number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. On February 12, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. by conference call. On February 13, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have an in-person support group meeting in Louisville from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. February 14 is a GLCB roundabout, education and technology from 3.30 to 5. <clears throat> Discussion time from 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, bingo $2 per person from 7 to 9.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598. February 16, ACB Families will have its next business meeting. This is a nationwide call for anyone interested in families at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On February 17, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its February board meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On February 19, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a support group by conference call. This meeting will be at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and the phone number is 669-900-6833. The code is 3572-595-193. On February 20, the KCB Scholarship and Technology Committee will meet at 8 p.m. by phone. February 21, GLCB will have a roundabout. Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5, Discussion Time, 5 to 6, Dinner, 6 to 7, and A Gospel Sing from 7 until 9.30. The activity is at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. February 22 to 25, 2020 ACB Leadership Meetings. The ACB board meeting is on February 22, the President's meeting, February 23, Legislative Seminar, February 24, and the visit to Capitol Hill on February 25. The hotel is at the Holiday Inn Suites Old Town in Alexandria, Virginia. For more information, call 502-895-4598 or contact ACB at 202-467-5081.
On February 22, there will be a Mixed Media Mosaics workshop from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. The guest artist is Patrice Ising. She returns to us to explore how the elements of art appeal to our sense of touch, as well as our sense of sight. Mosaics are an ancient form, generally made from chips of colored stone or glass that reveal a picture or pattern. Our mosaics will combine textures and layers, shapes and forms to create beautiful one-of-a-kind tactile art pieces. Free, but limited space. Best for adults and children six and up. Registration is required. Call 502-899-2213 to sign up. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.